Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. The first time I met Jack Canfield, I was just a young whippersnapper in my early 20s at the National Speakers Association. Over the years, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. I've interviewed him a couple times. And now I'm so excited because I get to introduce you to Patty Aubrey, and she is the president of the Canfield Training Group. So that's her current role, but she also formerly was one of the people behind building the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and then that became a billion-dollar brand. They sold that business, and so we're going to hear a little bit about that story and how they did it and what they're up to today at Canfield Group. But Patty also is the author of a book called Permission Granted, and she talks about really like how to find the, the bold courage to go out there and just claim and own your voice and share your message. So she was an easy and obvious fit to uh, bring here to the show. And anyways, Patty, great to meet you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you too. So, and I love you're a part-time Nashvilleian and a part-time Santa Barbarian. Those are great places to be. So we'll have to hook up in person when you're here, but I'd love to start at the start when this is probably not the start, but when I, when I think of when you say chicken soup for the soul, I mean, that is in such a category of its own. I mean, it's it's just, it's so far different and and not just one book, but the whole series. I would love to just hear how did it start and then what did it become? And just like, how did you even meet Jack and and how did you guys get connected? And just like walk us through the story. It was like 1989. I was living in Santa Barbara actually at the time, and I was working for a tech company that sold government software, and I hated it. And I was always in trouble. I was not meant to live in a cubicle. <laughs> so, uh, as my son reminds me often. So I moved back to to LA. I was born and raised in the Valley, and so I I moved in with my parents, and I started looking for a new job. And the interesting thing is I didn't know anything about self-help mm. or publishing or anything like that. And I always said, I'm never going to be a secretary because my father wanted me to take typing in school. I'm like, no, my secretary will do that. He's like, sorry, my daughter's going to learn to type. I was a typist in the army. You don't have a choice. Uh-huh. So I went to a Buck Fuller workshop and I set a goal. It's like, I'm going to make $25,000 by January 1st, 1990. And I think I was making 14000 a year at the time. So I see this ad in the LA Times that says secretary wanted and then in bold 25000 a year. I'm like, ah, don't really want to be a secretary, but twenty five grand <laughs> that's kind of a lot of money. You know, I was 23 or 24, whatever it was. And so I answered the ad along with like 200 other people. Sure. And I went down and I interviewed with Jack and his ex-wife, Georgia, and then this little condo in the Palisades, specific Palisades and like red furry carpet and incense burning like nice. hippies. And I'm like, what is this place? And he was actually doing self-esteem in the classroom. He was training teachers on how to facilitate more self-esteem during their own teaching to the kids. 
And so I didn't get the job. A couple months later, he called me and said, I've made a mistake. I really think we're supposed to work together. And I said, well, it's going to cost you 30 because you waited. Wow. Interest. (laughs) Inflation. And he said, okay, can you have lunch? I'm like, wow, he's smart and he's easy. This is a good thing. And so I ended up taking the job, went home, told my dad, who flipped out, you're going to work for a hippie. I send you to business school. What's wrong with you? I just flipped. (laughs) But it was great. I mean, I got there and Jack traveled so much of the time. He just basically said, all right, I'm gone for three weeks. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? So I just kind of took over updated all the technology. It was all really archaic and stuff. He came back. I said, I want to be vice president of operations. I just redid your whole office and saved you like $40,000 for the year. He's like, okay. So I was only the secretary for a few minutes. And then one day he came home. I think it was like right after I started in July and September, he came to the office. He said, you know, I go out and I do all these talks and everybody keeps saying, do you have that story in a book? Mostly women. Do you have the story in a book? He's like, no, but it's on my Nightingale Cone tapes or it's on my career track tapes or, you know, and women would say, but I don't listen to audio tapes because I'm in the car. I'm out of the car. I, I read. So I think the universe is telling us to take all the best stories from all the best speakers and put them in a book. And I said, okay. Thank God I was 24. I had no opinion because if it was today, I'd be like, what are you talking about? So I started working on it with them and um, we published our first book in 1993. As you know, we had a hard time finding a publisher. If you've heard, a lot of people have heard that story. And we ended up with a real small publisher out of Deerfield Beach, which was the biggest blessing on the planet because he owned his own printing press. Uh, and so it took us about 14 months to hit a bestseller list. And we did every wacky, crazy marketing thing you could do. John Kramer's 1001 Things to Market Your Book. I mean, we did every one of them, maybe except for a couple hundred. And at the very tail end of getting the book together, Mark and Jack met at a breakfast club and Mark said, Hey, I should do that book with you. And Jack said, okay. And so that was a whole Mark new Victor Hansen, everyone Mark Victor that Hansen. she's talking about. Yep. So, and Mark, so who was also we, an NSA and they, so they, they had known each other, I guess, for a while. They kind of knew each other, but not well, but Mark, you know, Mark is so gregarious and could sell anything to anybody. And Jack's much more of an introvert. So it was a good team. And it was great for me because I got to learn the really anal side of Jack as a teacher, every detail he explains. Mm -hmm. And I also got to have Mark's brain of, you know, come on, kid, bake it, she make it. If you believe it, you'll see it. I mean, I'm like, okay, this stuff doesn't work. Mark works starting a church because Mark was also a Bible scholar. (laughs) And so we went on and we did that. And then Marcy Scheimoff wrote Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul. And she was in a meditation retreat and called and said, hey, I have an idea. She was in a silence retreat. So she couldn't talk for nine days. So she said, we need to talk on Friday night at nine o'clock. I have something. She faxed it. <laughs> That's how long wow. it was. Faxed. So we do the call with her. And she says, what about Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul? And I thought, that's kind of dumb. I mean, women are buying the books anyway. And Jack's like, no, hold on a second. This could be good. And I'm so grateful that she did that because it opened it up and we did it. It went nuts. And then with the same publisher, same publisher. Okay. So this is not, this is not like a major New York publishing deal where they're paying you a book advance and push, pushing your book everywhere. This is like a small no. publisher, basically, basically like a vanity, like a hybrid publisher today, maybe you printing your own books. They were a regular publisher where they printed like recovery books, like John Bradshaw, you know, Healing the Inner Child, Melanie Beatty, recovery books, addiction, things like that. So 
they were little, but he had had a couple bestsellers okay. in the past. And so when he saw the numbers start climbing, he bought the highest end German printing press. Like he got prepared. He saw, and he would call me. He's like, keep those chickens rolling. I mean, he'd sing to me, you know, I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> another book. You know, we marketed the first book forever before anything happened. So when Marcy said that we did that book and then we thought, well, what else could we do? And then the next book, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and my sister had come to work for me. Mm. And she said, why don't we put a bunch of stories together for mom about people that have survived cancer? And I said, so all you authors out there listening or anybody that's thinking about having a big dream, the words that came out of my mouth, which are embarrassing, were, well, why would they let us do a book? We work here. And she said, Patty, you have been with Jack before it was even an idea. Who deserves it more? And so, and she was bossy. She was younger than me. And so she convinced me. So I went into the conference room with Mark and Jack and said, this is Marcy. No, my sister came oh, to your work. Oh, sister. Okay. Yeah. And, and she just gotten her degree in nursing. And so I said, while you're studying for your state boards, help me read these stories because there were stories coming in. And so I presented this thing. I want to do this book, Chickens for the Surviving Soul. And I was so scared. And they said, okay. And I went, yep, yeah, great. And so did that book. And then that led me into Chickens for the Christian Soul. And I did, I did 14 books of my own out of the 250 that I managed over like an 18 year period. Wow. You guys did 250 ver iterations of that brand. We did 200. Wow. It was such a blessing. And they were all just different verticals like that. Basically chicken soup for the teacher's soul and for the brother's yeah. soul and whatever. Exactly. And, and the thing is, because we said in the back of the book, if you have a story, share it with us. And so people started writing stories and it sort of gave us, it was like foreshadowing. We knew what the market was looking for. We we're getting a ton of pet lover stories. We were getting a lot of Christian stories. We were getting all kinds of different things. So at one point, I think my publishing schedule was five years out. And wow. I think the biggest year we did 18 books in one year. What? It was insane. That's insane. Yeah. So were all the books selling well, or was it just that like a few of them that were really the main drivers? I think the one that sold the least was probably Chicken Soup for the Surviving Souls. It was a very small market, and that probably sold 500,000. Teen Soul sold 12 million. Christian Soul, I sold a million the first quarter out the door. Out of everything, we did about, maybe we did like 230 or 240 titles. But when we sold the company in 2008, we had done, I want to say, so we're up to 500 million copies sold. 500 million copies across 240, 250 titles. Wow. And so they, and then they bought, and they bought all of them. That was the deal was they basically, they said, we're buying like what what did they exactly they bought? They bought the rights for all those books? Well, we didn't get an advance. He we actually had to guarantee him that if we didn't sell 20,000 copies of the first books, we'd pay him back. So, and then we worked out an advance, you know, so we could be off the road and writing books. We got a decent royalty, but we we also owned all the rights so we were able to do licensing. We did dog food, we did greeting cards, we syndicated columns, calendars, journals. We did a lot of work with pharmaceutical companies. We did co-branding. 
with a lot of different brands that were launching new products. Did you sell all of that stuff? So basically, is that what became the business was like all the books plus all the licensing deals of where you licensed the brand out? Yeah. What what happened was we had all these co-authors. So if you think about it, I think I figured it out. I had 26,000 contributors. Wow. And over 500 co-authors. And so the co-authors all got a nice royalty, but we owned the trademarks and all the rights at the end of the day. And so in 2008, when we sold it, it was about as good as the entire time that we, like we, we kind of doubled our money in one day when we sold it and we sold it to a couple guys out of Connecticut. And then after that, as of that time, then it was just like, it was gone. You guys sold it. They took over the rights, all the licensing, all the people and everything. And then basically you guys were starting over, so to speak, like it was all, you were out. Yeah, it was weird. Wow. Like how one day employees? chicken soup people and one day you're not. <laughs> uh-huh. How many people were there? So we had two companies. So Mark had a company and then Jack and I had a company and then we had a shell company that kind of held all the assets. So on Mark's end, they were in charge of licensing and legal. And on my end, it was marketing and production and specialty deals. So we kind of, and Mark's, Mark was married to a gal named Patty at the time. So it was basically the four of us kind of running it. And then I had about 15 employees and Mark, Mark's company, they only had a couple employees that actually worked with chicken. My entire team was on, I mean, from permissions to editorial, to creating marketing plans, getting things ready and things like that. So when you were launching these books, like what worked really well? Like you launched 250 books, 18 in one year. Did you think that, was it really about the launch? And it was like, oh, if we do a big launch, that sets the trajectory. Or was it more of just, we kind of do the same thing for everything. We put it out there and some of them catch flight and some of them don't. No, we did a launch for everything. And we we did things like Chicken Soup and NASCAR Lover Soul. And we worked with head, NASCAR headquarters. When we did the Pet Lover book, we worked with Marty Becker, who was on Good Morning America as their expert veterinarian. We did a deal with Petco. They got the books for the first two weeks before I went to bookstores. And that was 500,000 copies. We did Chicken Soup for the Traveler Soul and had a giant rig go from New York to LA with a giant chicken on the side with the backpack and stopped in all these small little places. So every single title had a very specific marketing plan. And like a marketing partner? Most of the time. Yeah. Some were just authors that were great authors and they already had platforms like Marcy Shymoff, Lisa Nichols different people, they had a decent following. So over time, you start to look at, okay, your perfect author has a platform, they know how to speak, they know how to edit. And once you get it going to a certain level, you have all these people out there promoting this massive brand. And so it just, and and the publisher put a lot of money into placement. I mean, if any bookstore that you went into in those days, we had a whole wall. I mean, those are not cheap. Oh, so the publisher was buying store placement. Oh, yeah. Was it the same publisher the whole time? That's that like local publisher? Yep. Wow. So they like went all in on you. They're buying printing presses. They're pushing it to the front of store. So you weren't paying out of pocket for the store placement the publisher was. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's expensive stuff. I know. 
and he has a very nice jet these days. Yeah, it paid off for it paid off for him. Yeah, he was he was really he's he's a big horse race guy and he loves to bet on things and he he just he kind of bet the farm. And picked the jockey, not the horse, man. He he got it. Um so that's that's amazing. What a cool I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't know that you guys were doing you know, paid promotion and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you know, a lot of people don't realize you just buy that space, like in the airport or whatever, like, right. but it's expensive and, and competitive. It is expensive. That's why it's really hard to get a book published with a New York publisher because they, they have upfront costs, you know? And the thing with us that we were so lucky about was we thought, Oh, we, we really want a, a bigger publisher. And we met with other publishers over the years, but nobody could pump out 500,000 books a week, but he could. Because he owned the printing presses, he owned the editorial, he owned the art department, he owned the distribution. So it was a one-stop. It was like a little mini Amazon before Amazon. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. Wow. And so how, when you when you would launch, I mean, you like you said, 500,000 for Petco. That's insane. So you, I mean, that was down the road though. That was after you had established the brand, the books were selling, and then people are going, hey, we want to do chicken soup for the whatever soul. And then are these licensing deals and these kind of part, promotional partners, were they basically just coming to you at some point once, or were you always prospecting them? Yes, always. How did you do that? Well, the first time we did anything at all for licensing, we did a book called Chicken Soup for the Golfer Soul. And so we went to the PGA show. And my husband owns a golf company. And so one of the companies came and said, hey, we want 300,000 bucks. We're launching this new driver to go up against the Callaway Big Bertha driver. So I went to my publisher and he said, no, we can't do it. There's laws, pricing laws and so forth. And so my husband said, well, why don't you just create like a little tiny book and just wrap it around the head of the golf club and charge the three bucks and sell them how many units they want. And I was like, that's like a lot for a little tiny booklet. He's like, yeah, but if you do that at the same time, the book's coming out, it'll spread the word that way. He said, you guys are like the Callaway of golf, you know, as chicken soup. That was our first deal. And it was great because it was upfront money. And so we, we thought, well, that worked for golf. Who else could we do it with? And then we, we got a gal that was really in with brand managers and pharma and said, well, we, we're doing a book called Chicken Soup for the Unsinkable Soul. You know, is there a brand that could use us to help launch? And they said, well, we're doing this new drug Paxil for depression. If you could put together a few stories on people overcoming depression, we could launch that with it. So when you go to the doc, so what we did was we would sell a million units to a pharmaceutical. They would then give them to the reps. The reps would take them out with the new drug 
they would give them to the doctors. The doctors would prescribe. And then they would say, by the way, here's a message from the chicken soup people. So we were sort of that warm and fuzzy side of the drug world, which really covered the overhead because when you're when you're writing books, you don't get a whole lot of money as a royalty. You know, we were only making a dollar twenty-five a book or whatever it was. And when you're splitting that with other authors and you have overhead, you've got to figure out creative ways to pay your overhead. And so that was the beginning. And then we thought, well, what if we got a licensing agent? And so we started licensing greeting cards and cups and mugs. And and then she came to us and she said, okay, chicken soup for the dog lover soul, dog food. And I'm like, this is really pushing it. But it was the biggest licensing deal we did. It was crazy. Really? I mean, I used to believe that. I mean, pet lovers are people. They're crazy. Pets are, they're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're family members. Like it's, a, it's. They are. They uh-huh. are. So you got a licensing agent. Does that mean you hired us an employee that just focused on licensing? Or that's more of like you went and got someone like an actual agent who just agents deal? We went to an agency. Yeah, we went to an agency in New York and got a licensing agent. And But when we did specialty deals with farmers and stuff, I had two people in-house. So that's all they did were send out proposals all day long, every day. And we would mock up stuff like, this is what we're thinking. This is what it would look like. We did the research. We knew what they were doing. So we always went out with, hey, we know you're working on this. We think we have a way to help support you. So it wasn't, hey, we need you. It was more like they kind of really needed us. It was still a hard sell. We probably did a hundred of those over the years, but probably sent out thousands, you know, to get the hundred that we did. And you're just basically going, pick a company or you pick a market and then you find a company that serves that market. And then you go, what are the goals of this company? And how could we present the idea of a book specific to that market in a way that they could use it to help them achieve whatever their other goal was? Exactly. Like, for example... um, That's so brilliant and simple, but so brilliant. (laughs) It was Mr. Toad's wild ride. I'm telling you, it was a crazy life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, we did a book for chiropractors with a big Parker chiropractic and the president of that school was our author on that. And and he came to us and said, you know, we can't make claims as chiropractors, but if you tell stories, it's different. So it was just life-changing stories of people of not being able to walk, but going to their chiropractor and getting better and the alternative things that they did. So that was kind of a specialty book. We did one with Isogenics, which is a multi-level company. And that was all about, was like chicken soup for the healthy soul. And it was all stories of people losing weight and their lives changing because of it. So we weren't making claims. We were just telling stories. And so it was, it was above board and legal. Uh-huh. Well, and the magic of that, right, is every, everyone does a book launch and they go, how do I get people to buy my book? In the simple, the simple switch that you flipped there was just going, how can we make our book a part of the things that other people have going on? Like just basically hitch to their wagon along to the ride and show them how how it supports that. I mean, that's that's really, really powerful and really, really cool. And so then you would basically just come up with the idea, identify some companies, and then just email them, phone call them, send them a proposal and say, Hey, this is we we got a book coming out. I don't know if you've heard of the brand. Here's how many copies we sell. Here's examples of who we've done this with. Here's what we think we could do with you. It's like, is there a way to partner up on this? Pretty much. I mean, it was a little bit harder, you know, mostly like boots on the ground. Who do we know? We reached out to people that we knew. At the time, it was Fabrizio Mancini that was running Parker Chiropractic. Kathy Coover was a friend. 
And I just made a call and sent her a mock-up of what I thought it could look like. And, and so we always gave them everything we possibly could, mocked up how it would work, what it would look like. The biggest thing was, you know, in the book business, you get returns. When you do a specialty deal, it's a one-time sale. So it was bulk buys of a hundred thousand or a million or whatever it was. So there was no risk, which made it a lot better. Right. Well, and because they're they're using it as a marketing tool. It's it's not like it's not like selling to a bookstore who's going to try to resell the book. They're packaging it like when you when you said the pharma one. You basically you were saying that the reps would give them basically piles of them to each doctor so that every time the doctor prescribed the medicine, they also gave them a book. Exactly. Or a sample of the book, but the sample would be like a 16 or a 32 page. And because that, that way you could, you know, you weren't carrying cases of books. And it also was at the exact same time we were launching something in the bookstore. And there were some that were just specialty that were just never, that never went to bookstores, but we always look for where is there money and distribution that we don't have and where can we show up outside of a bookstore because only 3% of the population ever went into a bookstore in those decades. Even back then, which was the peak, the peak bookstore time. Yeah. So, so that's a really powerful question. Where is there money and distribution that we don't have? Basically, where is there a huge network of people that you just kind of like, are tying into and writing that sort of writing that wave or working in that circle. Exactly. Patty, that's amazing. What a powerful story. So you sold the company and then you started the training company. Then it was Canfield training group after that, or were they kind of running like simultaneous? We would do one big training a year because Jack loves to do really deep workshops more like a lot. It's a lot of personal work. And so we did that every summer during chicken soup but we weren't on the road as much because we were so busy editing and compiling books. And before Chicken, we had a company called Self-Esteem Seminars. And so that's still today our original company. And we have a DBA of you know, the Canfield Group and Jack Canfield Companies. So when we sold, we kind of sat around and felt really weird. I was really happy. I'm like, I am good to go. They don't I'm want done. me. You know, they, it's like, they don't care what I think. And that was a big thing for me. I didn't want to have to come on to another organization and be responsible for three years or whatever it was. So we didn't do that. And I said, well, you know, we, we published the success principles in 2005. So this is 2008. I said, why don't we circle back and start training people how to do what we did and using the success principles. And all of those principles were used throughout our time of setting goals and creating affirmations and writing down steps that you have to do and visualizing it and sharing your vision and all the stuff. And we had more clout by that time. So we did kind of a year long road trip to about 10 cities and did one day events. And we just called it train the trainer. If you want to become a trainer of the success principles and we had a huge teacher market. So they were kind of our, ideal avatar because they already knew sort of how to speak. And then it morphed from that into an online certification when certifications really weren't happening yet. And so we decided to do that so we could get to more people. So for less than the price of travel, you can get certified online. And so that was a two-year process. We did that. 
And now we mostly cater to authors, speakers, coaches, and teach them interactive exercises that they can bring into the things that they do. How do you make your talk more engaging? We do a lot of author stuff. I just came off a two-day author retreat. I do those uh, about eight times a year. Mm-hmm. So I which was an which was an authors. event an event that you guys hosted that was specific for authors. We do it with Steve Harrison. Do you know who Steve and Bill Harrison are? That sounds familiar to me. They, they used to own a company called Radio Television Interview Report (RTIR). Okay, and we would place ads with them for all of the books to get radio shows and TV shows, and so they catered authors a lot and helping them get their books done and published. So we do about eight a year. It's me and Jack and Steve. And we did like this two day, we had, I'm going to say 18 authors total. So it's like a, it's like a mastermind. Mm-hmm. And we did, we do them via zoom and we just talk about, okay, here's your book. This is what you should fix. This is a way that you could market it. Think about doing this. And yeah, I mean, I have to say, this is probably the, just the most creative marketing strategy, book marketing strategy conversation that I've ever heard really i mean i mean it's it's really powerful and and simple and and then that led you to write permission granted so you had written 14 chicken soup books or been a part of 14 yourself and then you release permission granted so you're still at president of canfield you guys are still doing all that stuff but then you released your own book here recently as well i did i released permission granted i want to say probably right before the pandemic in 2019. It was a compilation. People like Ayanna Vincent and Janet Atwood and Marcy Shimoff and Lisa Nichols, and then other people, it's only like 15 authors. And I just said, just give me your best story of when you finally decided to give yourself permission to show up and just go for the dream, like just say it out loud. And because I feel like so many people, they they want to write a book or they want to do something different or they want to quit their job or they want to say, I don't want to be married anymore, or they want to ask for a raise. I mean, whatever it is, at least in my life, it was hard for me to speak up. And I'm a pretty bossy kind of gal, but I was a professional hider. So nobody knew that I was running the company. No, people would call me to speak, Rory, and I would turn it down. Oh, we have 7,000 women in the stadium. Can you come and speak about your book? Oh, no, I'm too busy running chicken soup for the soul and the president. And because I didn't know how to do it. And I thought you had to memorize everything. And I didn't know there was a formula. So once I figured out, wait, there's some method to this madness. I and By doing the online training, I kind of figured it out. I'm like, there's a methodology here. There's certain key ingredients that you need to use. And so I just thought I'm I'm going to do it. And I kept waiting for Jack to say, "Hey, you should, you know, come on stage more." And you should. And he never did. And I literally told myself that he must think that I'm terrible, or he would have asked me. And the real story was like, "Well, I didn't know you wanted to do it." He's like, "I'm not a mind reader." So that sort of set me off on this journey of of giving other women permission to really mm-hmm. show up and live their dream. I love it. Well, I mean, we'll link up to permission granted in the, in the show notes and everything. Yeah. I mean, what a story, Patty, where do you want people to go to, to, to learn about that, about you or what you're up to and what you're working on right now? They can go to my website. It's pattyaubrey.com and that's A-U-B-E-R-Y. Everyone spells it R-E-Y, but it's A-U-B-E-R-Y. 
And I do women's retreats. I do a lot of coaching for people that need to learn how to share their message more and just some other fun things and a lot of stuff with Jack as well. So we run a lot of high-end luxury stuff, fun things around the world. That's really, really, really cool. Um, we do some in Nashville, so we'll have to invite you next I mean, time. yeah, let me know. I mean, it's, it's it's in the neck of the woods. I at least got to come over and say hi. Like, I would love to know. This, this is such a great story. And I mean, this is amazing. 500 million people that you guys reached with just that. And, every, and that was all the way back in 2008. So everything that you guys have done since then is just really, really inspiring. I mean, if if there's somebody out there listening right now who has that dream and they go, wow, you know, I think back to where you were, where you couldn't get the publishing deal and before you sold 500 million copies and 250 books and all that. But like at some point, there must have been a moment where you guys were just starting out where you're like, what are we even doing? Like, how are we going to pull all this off? Like, what would you tell that person right now? I would say make a plan, share your vision with everyone. I mean, the reality is the publisher that finally said yes to us after 144 said no, was the only person we knew at Book Expo. And we said, hey, could we just park our backpacks here while we go hand out manuscripts because our agent gave us the book back and said, sorry, I can't sell it. And at the end of the weekend, we still got more no's. And then Peter Vegso, who was the president of Health Communications, our publishing company, he said, hey, why don't you let me read that book? And I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know this until we did a documentary years later. And he was one that published it. And what's so interesting is that we often step over the people that are sitting right there on our front porch Mm, and think we have to go someplace else. So tell everyone, you know, what you do, share your message, get it down. Well, go hang out with Rory, got brand builders. It's amazing. I've checked it out and, and just don't give up. I mean, it takes time. And I, I do believe that chicken soup sort of put a spin on the book world that you can just go out and have these bestsellers. And the reality is I tell all of my clients, books are like babies. You don't birth them and leave them in the alley to raise themselves. Mm. You have to raise them and spin off products and think of trainings and how can you coach people and what, you know, your book is like the hub of a wheel and every spoke is the next opportunity to take that to a new level. Yeah, well, you guys certainly did that. And I think I can call, I'm going to title this from incense burning hippies to the billion dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Patty, for sharing the story and uh, just your wisdom and insight. Like what a joy and treat. I learned so much. And I mean, we just continue to wish you and Jack and the whole team the best. So keep going. Thanks for having me. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to 
podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 